education done correctly can have a huge impact on patient outcomes. Education done incorrectly, as it so often is done, does nothing but frustrate the practitioner and takes time away and can give them a feeling that they're competent and stop them on their journey to expert mastery. Welcome to Second Opinions, a HealthStream podcast. I'm your host, Brad Weeks. Join me as I talk to some of the preeminent thought leaders and experts working in healthcare today. In these candid interviews, we're going to hear some alternative views. We're definitely going to challenge conventional wisdom, and we're going to get a little personal, but we are looking for second opinions. Join us. Today we're talking with Dr. John Yusaitis, the Medical Director at the MedStar Simulation Training and Education Lab, which is part of the MedStar Institute for Innovation. The mission of the Institute is to catalyze innovation that advances health, and their mantra is think differently. Dr. Yusaitis has over 25 years of experience as an anesthesiologist and leadership experience in multiple clinical, management, and education roles. At MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, Dr. Yusaitis served as a transplant anesthesiologist, an educator, and medical director of the Bloodless Surgery Program. However, he's most proud of his multiple Teacher of the Year awards. His passion for adult learning will come through in our conversation today. Dr. Yusaitis joins us today from his office in Washington, D.C. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Brad, and all the other folks down at HealthStream. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you as well. Tell us a little bit about your background and your current role with MedStar's Institute for Innovation, and specifically, what was the impetus behind the program? I've been a pediatric transplant anesthesiologist for most of my career at Georgetown University. But my real interest has always been teaching. So I was always involved with med school, teaching at Georgetown Med School and resident training. When I got into my 50s, I had a great opportunity for what I call my encore career. And now I work at the MedStar Institute for Innovation, which as a part of that is MedStar Cytel Simulation Training and Education Lab, which is our learning solutions, learning infrastructure department. So as the medical director there, I control the day-to-day operations and the content for all of the education that comes out of our 120-person department for our 36,000 associates. So it's a, a fairly big department for a very big healthcare system, and we put out a lot of education, which is my passion these days. I've always loved education, and I'm actually getting a master's of education right now. It's been a great opportunity to work with HealthStream and share with the expertise that y'all have. The MedStar Institute for Innovation, this was formed several years ago as a collaboration between our CEO, Ken Samet, and my current boss, Mark Smith, who's the head of innovation at MedStar. And when they started it, their thought was, if we knew which direction it was going, we wouldn't need it. So they've given us a lot of autonomy to innovate in many fields, and my particular being education. That's interesting about the the, uh, unclear direction. I think a lot of people, when they start an initiative like this, they almost think they have the destination in mind. But it sounds like uh, this was more iterative and, and trying to 
uh, sort of figure it out as you went along, right? Absolutely. And and <laughs> we continue to do that every day. So we look for problems. We try to find solutions. And through those solutions, we try to innovate. What can you tell our listeners about some of your most positive or maybe some of your most negative well, education experiences? Sure. Um, <laughs> I've been through a lot of school. And the most negative experience I have, unfortunately, is the most common experience. It's, it's something we call surface learning. And that's what most of us do in school, where you're just given a lot of information and you cram for the exam because the teacher told you to. And then after the exam, you forget most of the material. You're really just touching the surface of, of what it's all about. My most positive experience was a great learning experience. It was my residency where you have a real learning community, the other residents. There were eight residents in my training program, and you could see what others are doing. And you had mentors who gave you a lot of feedback, and you really felt where you were on the continuum from novice to expert. You were getting continuous feedback as to where you were on that continuum. And you were getting evaluated, but also you were given guidance on where you can be. That was deep learning. How important do you think that is when you're learning new material or you're learning a new skill to have a group to go through that process a absolutely. together? Absolutely. Well, with the social cognitive theory, where you really have to have a group, you never know where you are unless you look at others where there is something to be able to shoot for. So if you're alone on an island, you, you never know if you're a master because you don't know what the definition of master is. If you want to become an expert, there absolutely needs to be some sort of learning community that you're a part of. And there needs to be a leader there who's giving you the feedback to tell you how you're doing in that community. John, what is it that makes you so passionate about your relatively new focus on well, education? I, I think that this is an area where I can really make a difference in the medical world. Education done correctly can have a huge impact on patient outcomes. Education done incorrectly, as it so often is done, does nothing but frustrate the practitioner and takes time away and can give them a feeling that they're competent and stop them on their journey to expert or mastery. A lot of the education we do, if you give feedback, telling the learners that they're just fine, it can stop them from yearning for more. It can stop them from continuing on to become an expert. I think that's a similar lesson that can be applied to leadership in general in terms of coaching uh, employees towards performance or towards a goal. Whether you're in a learning environment or just doing your everyday job, we all need feedback, right, for how we're performing and how to improve. Otherwise, we may Absolutely. lose that edge. Great leaders are great at giving feedback, no question. Tell our listeners, uh, through your experience, how is the education of adults different from educating children? And then how is that even different from 
educating med students? <laughs> All right, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm gonna lump children and med students into the same category because I can I can okay. describe how it's easy to teach those groups. It's really easy to teach a med students. You give them some information, they will learn anything you give them and they will be ready for that test no matter what it is. Same thing with an eighth grader or a high school student. You give them some information, you don't need much of an explanation, they'll just learn it and they'll be ready for that test and they'll be ready for the final exam. Now, that's what I was referring back to before is surface learning, I'll probably forget it very quickly, but, but they don't ask a lot of questions. You give them the material and they know it. Now, fast forward to adult learners, which happens in my mind during residency. That's when physicians go from being pedagogical to andragogical kids to adults as far as education goes. So during residency, after the first or second year, that's when physicians start asking, why do I need to know this? They're all of a sudden coming to the table with a lot of experience. They already know how to do most of the things that they're expected to do. So if you give them some information, they want to know, well, how is this going to help me? And that's what an adult learner is. They're coming with their years of experience and what you're giving to them only adds on to what they perceive. They have their own perception of reality, their own perception of how to do things. And you're just adding that. You can lose them really quickly. If you're teaching them something that they don't think they need to know, they will tune out immediately. So it's a big challenge. What can you tell our listeners about the approach to training and development at MedStar and maybe walk us through how you've arrived at that approach over time? Sure. What you might be asking about is how did we learn from some of our mistakes? And we've certainly made some of those. The biggest mistake we've made in the past is not fully recognizing the problem before we come up with a solution. We came up with a solution for a problem that may not exist or wasn't clearly defined. We take a lot of time doing that now, finding out exactly the why of what we're doing. And sometimes people can get frustrated. It takes us so long to get started on a project because we spend so much time figuring out what it is, doing a lot of discovery. I can give you an example of when it worked here, the OB risk program that we came up with, which we worked with HealthStream on. It really is what I consider taking someone on the journey to mastery. We spent a lot of time identifying the problem. <laughs> Take electronic fetal monitoring, for example. Other ways that people teach electronic fetal monitoring didn't connect the different variations of electronic fetal monitoring. You could look at 25 different strips and they're all unique. That's very much the way a novice looks at something. Everything is unique. They don't chunk them into different categories. 
if as an anesthesiologist, a first year resident would go and see a patient and that patient was completely unique and they would come present them to me as a unique patient and everything would be presented. Whereas after years of practicing, I would go to another experienced practitioner and quite often my first statement was, this is one of those patients who is, and then I would go on because we had different, you might call them illness scripts. We would show multiple strips and then categorize them and help the learner become an expert, help them have those scripts in their mind. If you don't have that, you look at 25 strips and the next strip is the 26th and it's completely unique. There's nothing different about it. But if you look at the 25 strips and you put it into three categories, that 26th strip is just one of three possibilities. And it, it's much more common for the practitioner to know, these are the things I have to know. These are the categories, and these are the way to treat it. So it was really interesting here at MedStar to watch people go in that relatively short education to just help them along that journey from novice to expert. You mentioned the OB Risk Program. MedStar Cytel partnering with us uh, on developing that program. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about what that program entails? That program gets back to something we've already talked about. It, it's, it's one of our successes in identifying the problem. So we worked with our quality and safety department and researched into quality and safety aspects of OB practice around the country and came up with six topics where we felt we could make an impact. So again, identifying a problem, delivering it online to the adult learner, the practitioners, it's a um, interprofessional education it's for doctors and nurses, nurse practitioners, midwives, um, and, and delivering them what they're going to perceive and fair amount of people have taken it now and it is received very well that it is a solution to an existing problem. So it works for the adult learner. Hi, this is Brad. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we're discussing in this episode, visit our website at healthstream.com slash podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's pick up where we left off. You mentioned how some learning initiatives are not connected to a problem that needs to be solved. What are some other challenges you see with current and traditional approaches to training and development besides just not understanding the problem well, meant to be solved? I think, I think I should probably repeat something I was saying before because I think it's so important, which is also one of the methods we use in teaching. We pick out the important things and we repeat it. Right now, assessment is very often treated as something different than the learning, and they need to be connected. Assessment drives learning. It's painful for educators to admit that sometimes, but assessment drives learning, that People learn so often because they know they're going to be assessed. So sometimes in adult education, we don't have that. It's, we expect the learner to go out and learn for the sake of learning, but our learners are busy and our learners are already very much on the path 
to be experts. So assessment needs to be brought into it. It needs to be formative, meaning teaching, and summative, meaning uh, coming up with a value to judge where they are along the lines from novice to mastery. I think that that is going to be the most exciting thing coming up in education, bringing assessment into the forefront, blueprinting it to the goals, to the why, to the problem, and and having the assessment go all the way through with the learner from novice to mastery. If it's just a checklist, if it's just a multiple choice test, if it's just searching for competency, they're going to reach that competency and they're going to say, okay, I checked that box. I'm not going forward anymore. I don't need to. I've been told I'm fine. And that's not how we're going to create experts. That's how we're going to create minimally competent practitioners. You've coined a phrase called right-size learning. What does that mean, and, and what is its value right. to training so, and Right, so good question. All of these terms I've been using are just part of the cognitive load theory. How much can you hold in your head, and how does your brain process all of them? The right-size learning gets back to what are we going to give the learner for the most impact. It's not just shorter is better, and it's not more complete is better. There's got to be some size, and it's hard to figure it out, and it differs for different, for different learners, but there has to be some right size that we're going to maximize the impact that the education's going to give the learner. I didn't call, coin the phrase. Bill Sheehan and Alex Walker actually came up with that to other members here at Cytel. But it's genius. It's really what it's all about. Figuring out what you can give the learner with the most impact. Because we have to keep the educational environment friendly for every adult learner, or they won't come back for more. They can burn out, especially with online learning. So if you're not doing it right, people will just dread the next experience they have. But if you give it to them in the right size, if you give them something that they feel is pertinent to what they're doing, then they'll come back for more. I think the cotton of load theory is why phone numbers are seven <laughs> digits long, right? Isn't that <laughs> what the research Absolutely. Found? Now, I'll, I'll admit to yeah. you, as I'm getting older, I, I think that the phone number should be about four digits long. I'm having a hard time <laughs> with seven these days. <laughs> well, that's why we have caller ID and, and fancy devices yes. to remember all that. <laughs> uh, you've also said that you believe that everyone learns better experientially, seeing and doing rather than just reading or, or hearing. With the rise of online learning, how do you bring in experiential learning into that online setting? That's a great question. It's a great challenge that I'm confronted with daily in my job. Experience doesn't always have to be a, a simulation. If we think of, again, back to school, how most of us have learned, it's it's through lectures. And so often lecturers just end up being somebody in the front of the room, basically reading from a book, basically giving lists of things to do to the learners in the classroom. And that's definitely not an experience. 
I think a lecture can in itself be experiential if a lecture is one of two things. A lecture or online or learning needs to either be a story, needs to tell a story, or it needs to be an argument. It can't be just lists. Nobody's going to remember a list from watching a video or doing a interactive module, no matter how good it is. It, it, they're going to come away with just a few things. And the way they're going to learn it is the way humans have been programmed through millennia by listening to stories or listening to an argument. And, and that's the experience you can have through e-learning. John, can you give us an example of experiential learning within the OB RISC program? We had our serious game, our video game people, come up with what we call micro simulations. It very much has the feel of a video game. And instead of multiple choice questions, it has multiple paths you could have to the treatment of a patient, really almost infinite paths to come up with a solution. So it's just like you're faced with when you walk in to a patient's room. There's not four choices as there are in a multiple choice test. There are an infinite number of different directions you could go. And that's what we tried to come up with our micro simulations in OB risk. And I think we did a pretty good job with it. So we've talked about it, uh, learning needing to be connected to a broader problem that needs to be solved. Uh, you've mentioned how it needs to be uh, driven by assessments and that it also needs to be delivered in such a way that it's story-based rather than just lists and lists of content. We also think at HealthStream, and you know this, the working with us, that it's important just to get learners excited about learning, which is probably more and more difficult to do given competing priorities. How have you seen that work well at MedStar? How do we get people excited about learning and improving? Absolutely. HealthStream shares my passion for making it exciting. And everybody here at Cytel shares my passion. I think that that gets back very much to the finding a solution to a problem. If you take the adult learner and you give them a solution to something that they perceive as a problem, they'll be excited about it. If they feel like you're just giving them some information, particularly lists, and it's not helping them, there's not going to be any excitement there. What do you see as emerging trends that uh, everybody ought to be talking and thinking about when it comes to healthcare sure, education? Two things. Real quick, reinforcement and reality. We all forget things that we might need to know, but if we don't use them every day, we need to be reinforced. So reinforcement and what a, a term that I use, educational half-life, how long does somebody remember something? How often do they need the information to be reinforced? And then reality. Education is, is very context-specific. Maybe somebody could be great at doing resuscitation in a simulation lab that's very calm, but put them in a emergency department where there are people yelling at them to go faster, get out of the way. What's the problem here? What, what should we do next? And they freeze. So we have to come up with real life, reality-based situations. Both of those things can be done with virtual reality, and it'll be interesting moving forward what's going to be done with virtual reality in the 
medical education world. Dr. John Yosaitis, thank you very much for taking a few minutes of your day to be with us. And uh, thank you, more importantly, for what you're doing for healthcare and education. Really exciting stuff. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about what we've talked about today by visiting our website at healthstream.com slash podcast. For more second opinions, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also subscribe on our website, on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brad Weeks, and I'll see you here next time for more second opinions. Thank you.